You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. John chapter 20, as we continue our walk through the Gospel of John, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And we get to that verse, actually, for the first time in a year and a half uh, this morning in John chapter 20. It is, of course, the purpose statement of the Gospel of John. And we are almost there at the end. Lord willing, uh, we will finish this Gospel over the next four weeks. So December the 18th will be the grand finale uh, of the Gospel of John. So I hope that you will stick with us through uh, that at least. I appreciate Lewis Miller for being here last week. As I mentioned to you, uh, filling in his message to you was the next uh, message just entitled uh, Scent, Living Scent. How do we uh, live sent? It really is the... A moment where the, the disciples see Jesus for the first time after his resurrection. Uh, and it is the equivalent of the Great Commission in the Gospel of John. So you're looking for it. It's there. Uh, just as I was sent, I'm sending you. And we are to live sent, sent by Jesus to make disciples into the world. Well, these were both words of comfort and words of min- uh, mission. In essence... They were sending the disciples out to do what they were to do for the rest of the church age. John tells us that the disciples were there to receive that commission, all except for one, or maybe two actually, if you're considering Judas. Judas obviously is not there at this point, um, but there's one other disciple that is mentioned here that was not there the night that Jesus appeared to the disciples the first time. And it's a man by the name of Thomas, who is another disciple of Jesus. And he was not there to hear what was taking place or to see. Why? Uh, We're not exactly sure, but he wasn't there. And he had a hard time believing what actually happened. He got the report later. And the, 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 the Gospel of John tells us that the reason is because he didn't see it with his own eyes. A message there we'll get to in a moment. He had been given, he has been given this title, this, this disciple has been given this title, the title Doubting Thomas. But in reality, Thomas evidences a characteristic that is not unique to him, but rather faithfulness, uh, something that, that he was uh, uh, evidencing throughout the life of Jesus, a, a desire to follow Jesus, we know that. But it is a characteristic that comes up here that is common to the human condition. Reality is, we, like Thomas, have a hard time believing something that we've not seen with our eyes 
or that we can't comprehend with our minds, don't we? We have as much of a hard time as Thomas did. There must be something more to faith than seeing if you are to believe what Jesus says here. So if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word as we finish chapter 20 here before us. Chapter 20 and verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and put and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to understand the nature of saving faith. There are many in this room who would confess faith in Jesus this morning, and I pray that you would help us to look inwardly at that faith. May we, by your Holy Spirit and according to your word, evaluate the faith of our hearts to determine whether that faith is saving and consistent with your word. I pray that others in this room who may never have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior would see the nature of what it really means to believe the gospel, to put faith in Christ, and today that they would do that according to your word and be saved. I pray that faith in this room would be strengthened and that we would be a people who trust you completely. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. One of the things that we look forward to as a family every year is all of the movies that come on around this time of year on TV. I don't know if you do this as a family. We uh, like to watch all of the Christmas movies that uh, come on, um, various things, Santa and Frosty and all of the various things that you see on TV. Now, I want to be clear, the message of Christmas has nothing to do with Santa or Frosty or Rudolph. Amen, church? Nothing at all. Um, It's all about Jesus, 110% and 50% about Jesus. The message of Christmas is Jesus. And yet, it's fun to gather as a family and watch some of these things. And so we do, and we guard our hearts in various ways, but those movies are there, and some of those movies we've already seen. How many of you know or are familiar with the movie The Santa Claus with Tim Allen? Anybody? A few of us. Uh... 
kind of a funny movie. Uh, Tim Allen, somewhat uh, humorous. Some other places not appropriate, but this one has is a decent movie. And so he puts on the suit. Most of you know the story. After Santa falls off of his roof, roof he goes to the North Pole, realizes that he is in fact the next Santa Claus, and he is there trying to make uh, heads or tails of what has actually just happened to him. And a little elf by the name of Judy walks into his room and brings him a cup of hot cocoa. Not too hot, shake and not stirred, extra chocolate. So if you've seen the movie, you know the line. And there they begin this discussion of belief, what it means to believe. believe. And there's a line in the movie where Tim Allen or Scott Calvin, as he is given the name, says, as he's looking around at the North Pole, the polar bear down directing traffic, he says, I see it, but I don't believe it. He says, I see it, but I don't believe it. Judy the elf takes the opportunity to teach him a little lesson. And she says, Santa, you're missing the point. So he asks, what is the point? And she makes this statement. Seeing isn't believing Believing is seeing. It's a conversation about belief. We talk a lot about belief this time of year. And the subject in this movie is Santa Claus, and that isn't the point. But what is said is so helpful when we consider our relationship with Jesus and the true nature of saving faith and how we are to respond to God. So we think about that story, we too have a hard time believing what we have not seen with our eyes and what we cannot comprehend with our minds. In fact, even when we do see it, we have a hard time believing it. Can't even believe that it's true because we can't see it or, or wrap our minds around it or comprehend it. And we have all kinds of questions that aren't answered and it doesn't quite fit into our little logical box. It's true not just of belief in God Himself. It's true of believing in what God does and what He has said. We take what God does and what He has said and we twist and turn it and try to wiggle out of it. Instead of trying to answer questions, rather we rationalize and ultimately reject. Even when we're given absolutely clear and abundant evidence of what He has said, we find some way to rationalize it away so that we don't have to believe it. This is our nature. Interesting that we see it in a movie, but it is here in the passage. It's the place Thomas finds himself, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. There's the report. There's the word of the Lord through His disciples. But he said to them, unless I see it, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and the place and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, in fairness, again, Thomas is not the doubting type. We give him that name. Thomas, also called the twin. Maybe he was a twin. We just know that that's his Greek name. Thomas being Aramaic has not always been the doubting Thomas that we know him to be. 
In fact, in chapter 11 and verse 16, he's willing to go and die with Jesus. You'll recall that. Or just a few chapters ago, verse chapter 14 and verse 5, he wanted to know the way that Jesus was going so that he could go with him. Thomas' faith is not by and large weak, but it is here. He hears of the risen Christ and no doubt in his mind. He says, I, I want to see it for myself. Otherwise, I'm not going to believe it. Even if he knew it to be true, by the way. He says, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails or place, in, place my finger in the mark or place my hand in the side, I'll never believe. Unless I have enough evidence, you're never going to convince me. Sadly, that's the position that taken when it comes to the things of God. Unless I get enough evidence, you're never going to convince me that it's true. Because what has happened in our minds is that we've come to the place that sight must precede faith. We must see before we can ever believe. Unless I see it with my eyes, I will never believe it to be true. We want all of our questions answered. In a sense, in our heads, we're asking the question, what if and what about? And I'm still not sure about. And there is this endless list of questions that we don't have answers to, so we can't believe quite yet. Or maybe you're the kind of person that looks for a sign. Give me a sign that you're there. Give me a sign that you are at work. God, if you're really there, show yourself to me. Prove it. Or maybe you're the kind of a person that wants to measure and mitigate risks. So if I believe in God, here's what I'm going to have to give up. And I don't know if I'm willing to do that yet. And it might be too much. Let me do what I can do to make obedience comfortable and safe. And I'll do that. But if it's risky, I don't trust God enough for that. I've got to be sure. Or maybe we just put the whole thing in the category of a fairy tale. Something kids believe in, but we're too old for that now. I don't any longer need to believe in God. Here, though, just when you think Jesus should say to Thomas or the disciples should say to Thomas, just believe, Thomas. Jesus said it, so believe it. Jesus actually comes in and gives him the very evidence that he's looking for. And it is personal and it's concrete. Right? So he sees with his eyes and he touches with his hands. Notice verse 26. Eight days later, so Jesus, Thomas is not there on that night. And a whole week later, his disciples were probably in the same place inside again. Thomas was with them this time. The doors are once again locked. And Jesus comes and stands among them and says, peace be with you. It's the equivalent of a greeting. Shalom. <laughs> I just imagine Jesus showing up and going, hey guys. <laughs> and so he says to Thomas, who's there this time, and inevitably Thomas is going, what am I seeing here? He says to Thomas, hey, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not be in disbelief, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord 
and my God. I, I think John tells us that the doors were locked again just to just to emphasize the miraculousness of this moment. The risen Christ, don't forget, Jesus was dead and now he's alive. This is not far from that moment. Just a week later, Jesus appears to the disciples, this time with Thomas, and he says, peace be with you. And that's when Thomas sees for the first time the resurrected Christ and he gets the evidence that he is looking for. Put your finger here. Put your hand here. See me in the flesh. He gave Thomas exactly what he needed, what he said he needed to believe. I want you to know this morning that Jesus takes away every excuse we have to not believe. Jesus takes away every excuse we have to not believe. Even though faith does not depend on rationale, sight, logic, it's certainly not irrational either. It does make sense. The issue is not that we don't have enough evidence. The issue is that we do not believe the evidence that we have. That's the tragedy. Our objection is, show us the evidence. And what we're really saying is, the evidence we have is not enough. We need more. We're actually demonstrating that we don't have enough faith to believe the evidence that we have. And in reality, there's no amount of evidence that could ever convince us that it's true. We're trying to rationalize our way out of the existence of God, not our way into the existence of God. The world does not need more evidence that God exists. The world already has sufficient evidence that God exists. The world simply needs to be called to believe. to Trust in Christ. The truth really comes out. In the words of Judy the elf, seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. But I think Jesus says it better. He says, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So even though Thomas gets the evidence that he needs, Jesus says, yes, you believe because you see, but there is coming scores of people, generations of people that will believe who have never seen. Because here is the reality of saving faith. The nature of saving faith is believing upon Jesus even when we can't see or comprehend. That's what faith is. Faith is believing upon Jesus even when we can't see or comprehend. That's what Jesus says. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus is talking about us. All of those who would come after the Gospel of John who would believe the Gospel and be saved. All of those for whom John chapter 20 and verse 31 was written. That we might believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing have life in His name. The real nature of saving faith is believing upon Jesus whom we cannot yet see. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. Chapter 11 and verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, 
we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. We do not come to believe the gospel merely or even foundationally because that which is seen gives evidence to it. We come to believe the gospel primarily because God has said. Faith is not the substance of things seen. It is the substance of things unseen. It actually precedes sight. You do not believe because you cannot see, or you do not not believe because you cannot see. You do not see because you've not believed. That's the order. We don't see and understand because we have not yet believed. It's amazing to me how many people I've counseled over the years and talked with over the years who have become Christians, who in sharing the gospel with them, there are so many questions and so many objections and you just keep sharing. And how many of you have that kind of a, a friend in your life where you just keep sharing the same story over and over, the same truth over and over, and it seems like there's always one more objection and one more question and more, one more reason why not? Anybody ever have that kind of experience? Here's what's amazing. Whenever they come to faith in Jesus, all of a sudden, all of the questions all but cease. It's like they're gone all of a sudden. Why? Because they're no longer throwing objections. They've come to believe the gospel. See, faith precedes sight. We come to see whenever we believe in Jesus, what happened to the blind man? The blinders were removed because he put his faith in Jesus. And the same thing happens to us when we put our faith in Jesus. It's like all of a sudden we begin to understand where we didn't before. The Holy Spirit comes and awakens us to the reality of truth. It doesn't mean that every question remains answered at that point. It doesn't mean that we stop seeking after God so much. It's just that we come in faith. We come believing what we've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet who have believed. That's the issue. The issue is, are we going to trust in Jesus with our heart even when we can't see him with our eyes or explain it fully in our minds. That's faith. This is where John inserts his purpose statement then. Maybe not to just cause us to look back. That's certainly one of the reasons. But because this is the very moment where this truth is the plainest. He did all kinds of other things, John tells us in verse 30. Things that are not written in this book. But the things that are written are written for faith, essentially. There's all kinds of other things I, I could have told you about, John says. But there is one, there are, there is more than enough evidence, rather, in this book for you to believe the gospel. I can answer all of your questions, provide all the proof that you're asking for, but that's not necessary because all the arguments stop with what's already been given. The excuses stop. The unbelief is confronted here, and we must believe. The question is then, do you fully believe what God has revealed about Jesus in His Word and trust Him with what you can't see or understand yet? There are three calls to faith in this passage. When we consider what we cannot yet see or understand, we consider what we do know of Christ there are three things that are 
laid upon us this morning. Number one, come and believe the gospel of God and be saved. The plainest, clearest invitation of this passage in John's gospel is that we should come and believe and be saved. It's the point of this gospel. The gospel of John is not just another story. It's not just a movie that comes on at Easter or Christmas. You can watch all of those movies, but at the end of the day, it's not like those other movies. Because this story is not intended to just simply make us feel good. Though it does produce emotion. The story of Jesus is intended to produce action. It's intended to produce faith. It's not just simply a report. It's a sermon. It's a call to action. These things are written so that you may believe. The desire of John and the call of God on our lives is to believe upon Christ as the only hope of salvation. We're told of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus so that we would see that this is good news. Good news that's not only offered to Thomas and Peter and John and the others, but good news that we can be saved, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It is an invitation for the confession of John, my Lord and my God, to not just be the confession of John, but the confession of every human heart. My Lord and my God, for you to declare from every rooftop that Jesus Christ is King, that He's Savior, that He's forgiven you of your sins, and that you've trusted in Him for salvation, Him and Him alone. That He's Lord and He's Savior for you. God in the flesh, the very image of the invisible God, God from the beginning, God who always will be. He is God forever, that he's Lord over your life, that he's savior, that what he did on the cross for you, that what he the death that he died, that the, the, the sacrifice that was made there on the cross is sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins and that he was the substitute to die in your place. To receive Him as the penalty due for us. Penalty of sin against a holy God. He died our death. And then He defeated that death in the resurrection. It is to believe that that is true. And not just that it's true in a book, but that it's true for you personally. That it's sufficient the blood of Christ, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That it is a gospel not by works, but of grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And so you must believe this. You must believe the gospel of God and be saved. So if that's you in just a few moments, we want to invite you to come. At the end of the service here, in a few moments, this altar will be open. I want to invite you to come and trust in Christ. Step out of the altar, the, the pew where you'll be standing, and come down to this altar and trust in Jesus today. But there's a second message, a second invitation to come and believe the Word of God and be obedient. Come and believe the Word of God and be obedient. It was the Word that Thomas Disbelieved, wasn't it? It was the word that he was disobedient to. 
Why? Because this was not the first time hearing of the resurrection of the Messiah. That began in the Old Testament Scriptures. The talk of a third day resurrection. Countless times in the Old Testament we hear of the coming resurrection of the Christ. Jesus Himself says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus Himself, over 21 times throughout the Gospels, references the resurrection. This isn't something that should have taken Thomas by surprise. The eyewitness of the disciples then was the final report to to Thomas. And he disbelieved the messengers of God because he had not seen it himself. Friend, can I tell you that God in the same way has given us His Word. And that Word has been preached to us through the prophets, through preachers, through the testimony of the New Testament church, the first century church, all the way through church history. We have received the Word of the living God and the call is to believe God's Word. And God is not looking for our endless excuses and objections as, as to not having enough evidence or enough proof or not knowing. The Word of God holds up to every test, to the test of the highest test of scrutiny. It stands up to the strongest act of rebellion. The Word of God is true without any hint of error. It is eternal. It remains forever. It never passes away. It is living and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces us even to the deepest parts of our souls and discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It never returns void. It always accomplishes what God intends. The Word of God is truth. It's truth. And we must believe it and then be obedient to it. The New Testament church believed that faith came by hearing and hearing by the Word of God because they gave themselves to it. Acts 2 tells us that they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching and to doctrine. Colossians 3 says that the Word of Christ dwelt among them richly. We know that the Bereans, some of the first disciples, searched the Scriptures daily to determine whether the sermons were true. They exhorted and encouraged one another in Hebrews with the Word. They sang songs and were saturated with the Word. They prayed around the Word. They held one another accountable to the Word. The Word of God held pride of place in the New Testament church, and it must be true among us that we believe it and that we obey it. We must believe what God has said and be obedient to it. But there's a third invitation to come and believe, and that is to come and believe the providence of God and be patient. Come and believe the providence of God and be patient. So Jesus tells Thomas, come and feel my wounds. Place your hands and your fingers there. See it for yourself. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answers, my Lord and my God. Thomas was not new to this journey. He'd been walking with Jesus for three and a half years. He knew the Scriptures. He knew Jesus. He'd been taught by Jesus. I, I would say at this point, though, we don't have certainty here that Thomas was already born again even before this experience. 
I think these other two statements confirm that. Being willing to die for Jesus and being with, wanting to be with Jesus and follow Him and want to know the way. There was a clear desire in the heart of Thomas to follow Him despite the lack of faith in this moment. And yet Thomas was having a hard time trusting what he could not see. He was fearful and doubtful. He needed, needed his heart strengthened. His heart strengthened in the presence of Christ. He needed to be reminded that darkness was over. That death was defeated. He needed to be reminded and consumed with the glory of the resurrected Christ. Even though he hadn't seen Him yet, he had to be reminded that he was fully alive and fully in control of all things. Psalm 37 and verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for Him. We've got to believe that God is still on His throne. And be patient enough to wait on Him instead of taking matters into our own hands. I was going through some pictures on Thanksgiving Day. Memories in my phone. Sometimes if you have an iPhone, it will throw up a memory of things that happened. And one thing led to another that led me to some pictures that I took at my grandmother's house just after her funeral, trying to preserve some of those memories of how I remembered things. And her home is sold now, and it's right across the street almost from my parents. And every time I go there, I I often look at that home and just am reminded of all that she was and meant in the life of our family. And as I was thumbing through those pictures, swiping through those pictures, I ran across a picture that I took of something that was on a refrigerator. My grandmother used to keep all things that were the most precious to her on her refrigerator. She treasured the things there, and you knew what her treasures were by looking at her fridge. If you knew my grandmother, you know that she struggled with a debilitating disease called COPD. The last five years of her life or so, she spent struggling for every breath. I remember hearing my grandmother pray for healing. And weeping, asking God to bring relief. God never did this side of eternity. He didn't see fit to heal her. But there as I was thumbing through those pictures, I ran across a picture on that refrigerator of a little card that she had saved. And it said this, Faith isn't faith until it's all you're holding on to. Below it was Isaiah 43 verses 2 and 3. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. See, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the assurance of things not yet seen. And for the Christian, There is a unwavering hope in the providence of God that He is faithful, that He is sovereign, and that He is good. And that as He acts for us, we must be patient and wait on Him. See, faith is not just believing in Jesus once for salvation. It's trusting in Jesus every day of your life and waiting with hope to see Him face to face one day. And so, we must be 
we must be fully convinced of what we do not yet see and are unable yet to comprehend in our Savior, Jesus, who we follow by faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of, conviction of things not seen. The question then remains, will you be like Thomas at first? Unless I see, I'll never believe. Will you be more like Thomas after seeing Christ? And will you confess Jesus as your Lord and your God? With every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning we invite you to come and respond to the invitation of God's Word. Maybe for you this morning it means to come and believe the Gospel and to be saved. You've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so in just a few moments, we want to invite you to step out of the place where you'll be standing. Come down this aisle. Today, Pastor, I want to follow Jesus. I want to believe the Gospel. And today, I'll I'll lead you to come and believe in Christ and to be saved. Others of you this morning, you're here and you know what the Word says and you've not been obedient. You've been making excuses and giving objections. And today, you need to surrender New to God's Word, what He says to you. Maybe for some of you that means just getting back into it. And for the others of you, you know what it says, but you're not being obedient. Today, today you need to repent and turn once again to Christ. For others of you in this room, you need, you need to have an encounter with the risen Christ again. You need His presence. You need His encouragement. You need to be reminded that He is working sovereignly for your good. Today that He loves you and that your hope is certain in Him. So in just a few moments, maybe you need to come down to this altar and simply bow before Christ and say to Him again, My Savior, my Lord, and my God. I want to invite you to stand with me all across this room. Whatever the case is in your life today, you be obedient to the Lord. Father, have your way in our hearts. We ask you to move us to obedience and to faith. Even when we don't understand and cannot see, may we trust in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.